submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. We call this podcast, Are You a Fan of the Dark? Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Are You a Fan of the Dark? I'm Dale. And I'm Jody. We apologize ahead of time for the quietness of our voices. We're trying to not be too loud while we're recording because our roommate is trying to sleep. And on this week's episode, we are reviewing The Tale of the Hungry Hounds. And that sounds absolutely not terrifying, and that's because the story is not terrifying, at least in my opinion. Jody, what do you remember about this story? (laughs) I remember that there are hounds that are hungry and it seems to revolve around chasing a horse and or eating the rider there's a little bit of potential time travel involved i think a juxtaposition between the main character and their mother or grandmother or something along those lines that's about it oh and it all centers down to somebody not feeding the hounds and doing their chores another life lesson brought to you by are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> yeah feed your damn dogs that's what it's about and, and don't be mean to old people. That's that's a really big one. <laughs> yeah, I know that I've seen this one, and I know that I'm obviously not impressed with it. Again, like Jody said, I I only remember that there's some weird time travel shit going on. Of course, it's a main character going to like a cousin's house or some distant relative. I know there's finding stuff in an attic, going out an attic window to like the past, and yeah, feeding dogs in a barn. I am excited now. I want <laughs> to see this attic window to the past. <laughs> That sounds so good. That's really the only most vivid thing I remember is this big round attic window that acts as a portal. See, I remember the the main girl in the red riding coat, but that's about it as well. Hungry hounds. Did you feed the hounds? Freaking lazy children. (laughs) (laughs) Jody, let's uh, go see how wrong we are, huh? Oh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot. But first, let's take a little snack break with our retro sponsor of the week. That's right, this week's retro sponsor is Cookie Crisp. We chose this because we're terrible pun monsters, and this is an episode about hungry dogs. You gotta say, a little bit longer inflection. Try to howl. I refuse. Okay. (laughs) Fuck this wolf. (laughs) Jody does not like the new mascot, because that's not the mascot he grew up with. (laughs) Back in my day, we had a really awesome trio. Uh, The pair of Chip the Dog and Cookie Crook. And Cookie Cop, the uh, <laughs> two bandits and the horribly efficient, actually, uh, Cookie Cop that always managed to stop them. <laughs> I think that's what I don't like about the newest Cookie Wolf. Chip the Wolf? It's Chip the Wolf. Cookie Wolf. <laughs> Cookie Wolf. Uh, Chip the Wolf is that he is a horrible ripoff of Wiley e. Coyote with a more annoying voice. And that makes me want to punch his bright purple nose. Yeah, so Jody and I were looking at commercials beforehand to get ourselves in the mood. And weirdly enough, I don't really remember any of these commercials. What is wrong with you? I, again, didn't eat 
name brand cereals. So Food ever. I just don't eat food. <laughs> I only remember having Cookie Crisp once, and it was at my cousin's house, as per usual. They were the food junkies. Yeah, they just got all the name brand stuff. But uh, I'm going to be honest, in the picture, the top of the box is open because I couldn't resist. I really wanted to try it, so... I had some before this recording. But we're not going to include what that actually tasted like, because we're going to do that here now yeah. for you. <laughs> so it's, it's really more of Jody's remembrance and opinion, I guess. So I would like to preface this with, I remember Cookie Crisp being a desirable cereal. Like, I actually enjoyed it back when I was a kid, and it was something that we would seek out, plus the commercials were awesome. Yeah, I know. I always wanted to eat it. I just didn't have a chance. Yeah, I don't remember whether or not I liked it as a kid. <laughs> I think I was disappointed that it didn't actually taste like cookies. I would also like to point out that I think as kids, we have a really no taste buds, um, like no real sense of flavor. I'm half tempted to do a test to see if dirt flavored with sugar is a desirable food group as a child. It could be. Here you go, Jody. You get to try it first. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it looks very sad. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I think they changed the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly wouldn't know, so. <laughs> well, I guess some part of it still tastes like cookies and maltodextrin and... Some sort of weird uh, flavor I would associate with styrofoam that melts. It does have a styrofoam-like quality. It's not very crispy. I mean, it is, but it like rubs on your teeth. That's gritty. That is the term you're looking for. <laughs> Cookie grit. That That's the, the name grit. of the cereal. <laughs> I would say it actually tastes very much like Tarani syrups that taste like baked goods. So like if you ever had a cookie latte or cappuccino or something from a gas station. Mm. Yeah, sugar cookie latte. That's uh -huh. about exactly what this tastes like. Uh -huh. um, which is another way of saying don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's okay, but it doesn't taste like cookies. Not to mention, um, you probably shouldn't eat cookies for breakfast. <laughs> That's a no for Jody. It's a meh for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me that bowl. We'll put this out of its misery. <laughs> Alrighty then. So, shall we watch our episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, let's. <laughs> And we're back with the tale of the Hungry Hounds. So this episode aired on September 19th, 1992. It was written by Anne Appleton and was directed by DJ McHale. And Jody is very obviously angry at this story. <laughs> Apparently, do not let Anne Appleton write anymore. This was horrible garbage trash the entire way through. <laughs> I think that they were really, again, trying to go for something more adult, and they had to tone it down a hell of a lot for a kid's show. Because if they had made tiny little tweaks, it would have actually been scary. You know, I would settle for this actually having a sense of story. So my main problem is that the hounds in this are a footnote onto what's actually happening. The crux of the story involves Dora, who went off on a, a horse riding trip, tried to make a jump, failed, and broke her horse's and her own neck. Great! What the fuck is the point of the hounds that show up in this tale they're the main bad guy the main focus and what everything is being constructed on and they actually have the least to do with what's happening in the story so starting at the beginning we still have the terrible cg opening <laughs> 
I think this is going to haunt us all the way through the first season. <laughs> it might. It opens on Kiki and Betty Ann getting ready to start the fire, and they're breaking kindling, and they start hearing weird noises in the woods behind them. As the noises get closer, it starts sounding more like chicken noises. Three of the boys show up, and they're like, nobody here but us chickens. So just about everybody is there except for Kristen, and they're all sitting around starting the fire now, and then they start hearing kind of a baying or barking off in the distance in the woods. Now, I do like that while this is happening, all of the guys are basically like, yeah, Kristen, where's she? I'd like to see her. They hear the barking in the woods, and they're like, oh, is that a dog, or is it Kristen? And one of them says, Kristen's no dog. Maybe it was Kristen. (laughs) She's no dog. And then out of the woods does come a dog, followed by Kristen. Proving everyone correct. And she explains that she was late because she had to pick up Elvis. And then there's a bunch of stupid Elvis puns. And (laughs) Elvis is is a hound dog. And the king. Kristen explains that she brought Elvis for sound effects because her story is going to be dog heavy, supposedly. Oh, and a real nail biter and terror inducer, let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, so scary. Kristen opens up the story explaining about a girl named Pam who likes to spend her rainy days and stuff in her attic playing around with the stuff her hoarder mom won't get rid of, basically. I have that almost verbatim in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) So she's sitting there like talking to herself in the mirror, trying on her grandpa's wedding suit and dropping very badly exposition about her family where she's like, Oh, Grandpa wore this when my mom and your dad were just a twinkle in his eye, but first came Aunt Dora, you know, explaining family tree and that her cousin Amy is there to visit her. Grandpa wore this at his his wedding. Just think, my mother and your father were just a twinkle in his eye, but I guess Aunt Dora came first. What does follow next is a cute little bit where Pam walks backward while in the suit to see the apparition of a wedding dress uh, standing tall and saying, how nice it is to see you, Charlie. But it turns out just to be Amy, her cousin. They basically kind of explain that neither of them believe in ghosts and they hear a noise in the attic and decide to investigate to see what it is. Right after saying they don't believe in ghosts, there's a mysterious wind in the attic, shuttered doors and windows, uh, that knocks open a black chest, revealing a bunch of old pictures and letters and whatnot. Yeah, and Amy picks up a photo specifically and was like, I didn't know you rode. And it turns out to not be Pam at all. It's actually Aunt Dora, the mysterious dead younger older aunt that nobody talks about anymore because she died 30 years ago uh, in a horse riding accident and nobody wants to bring that up anymore. But it just so happens that Pam is a spitting image of her. And then right after that is when we start to hear the weird mousy batty whiny noise. Yeah, they hear some squeaking and decide to investigate. And Amy finds a trunk and kind of drags it out. Pam is looking at it. They notice that it says Dora Pease, which is the name of their aunt. And it's this locked chest that they cannot get into. They try. They fail. They do notice that there are, or there is a mouse hole, rather, and that there is a combination lock on the chest. Out of options, they immediately leave and wander down the country road, bored to hell, wondering what to do next. I thought it was actually kind of funny that Amy seems pretty keen on opening that chest but she can't and Pam says very specifically we should just let the dead rest in peace which is funny because that's their last name but also because uh, she had just been like playing in her dead grandpa's clothes so I don't know if this girl knows what that phrase means. (laughs) I'm pretty sure the writer doesn't know what that phrase means. (laughs) 
But yeah, they go down and they're walking this country road. Amy's complaining about how bored she's going to be out in the country. And asks exactly what Pam plans to do with their time. Where Pam, of course, turns to her and says, Can you keep a secret? I'll show you. And runs to uh, them sneaking up on a horse in a field. Amy shows a little bit of hesitancy on, Hey, Pam, what exactly do you want to do with the horse? And Pam says, "Uh, I want to ride it. I have this carrot in my pocket. And Just conveniently. <laughs> conveniently, as you do. Uh, and immediately gets the horse over there where she, uh, over to the fence, rather, uh, where she starts to actually pull the bridle of the horse forward so that she can start to mount it. And as she does, out of freaking nowhere, her mother drives up on this dirt road and starts honking, which scares poor Pam, and she falls off the fence. Because it also scares the horse, which then bucks and rears. And her mom's like, no, get away from there, it's dangerous. Which made me mad, because I'm like, hey mom, it wouldn't have been dangerous if you hadn't started honking and spooked the damn horse. Don't you know when you startle animals, it's very bad for the person riding? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Whatever. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen that better as, don't get near those animals, Pam, I could have killed you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Pam is all dejected or whatever, and they go off with the mom. The whole point of that scene is to institute one of many stupid subplot lines that have nothing to do with the main tale, that Pam cannot ride animals, cannot ride a horse specifically, because her mother is upset about what happened to Dora 30 years ago. Apparently nobody's gotten over it. Specifically, she made a jump on a horse and broke her neck. This is important, I promise. The next scene is the girls sitting at this picnic table in the middle of nowhere with board games. Because they're bored. (laughs) Chinese checkers and a French version of the Ouija board. I know it's French because instead of yes, it has oui. (laughs) It is a Ouija board. (laughs) Oui. Freaking Pam is like, oh, come on, Amy, do this with me. I can't do this alone. They decide to go for it because they're dumb teenagers. And I would like to point out the only reason she can't do this alone is because if she moves it, she knows she moved it. And now the ambience (laughs) and mystery of this whole thing is gone. They put their fingers on the planchette and just let it do what it's going to do and it spells out Limout? Limout I'm not sure what Limout is (laughs) Also French, there's the problem (laughs) And Pam's like, no no, it's let me out. <laughs> oh, I guess if you have the L-E-T-M-E-O-U-T, <laughs> that is what that might spell. Or Limout. <laughs> and then it also points out a few numbers. One, four, nine. Amazing. It's the combination on my luggage. <laughs> Amy is, oh, well, maybe it's the spirit of that mouse that's stuck in the damn trunk. Maybe we should go try this out. You know, at this point, I'm willing to believe that. <laughs> I am too. So the next scene is the girls going back up to the attic to the trunk and lo and behold 149 opens the padlock and of course they reedify no i'm not afraid of ghosts i'm not at all afraid of ghosts i just don't like scary mouses and spooky boxes in this <laughs> attic it's very dusty <laughs> it is very dusty but still surprisingly clean for an attic a hoarder's attic that never throws anything away <laughs> yeah amy seems to be the braver one here pam immediately jumps and like runs away when amy opens the lid and a mouse jumps out <laughs> And at this point, I am entirely ready to believe that this story is done because it really was the mouse who was trying to communicate through the Ouija board that, hey, I need to get out of here. Here's the combination. Thank you for finally using a medium that we can communicate on. They go back to the trunk, though, and they open it up because Amy's like, come on, don't be chicken. Let's just do this. They open it up and lo and behold, it's Dora's riding gear. To which Pam, acting on no reasoning sense whatsoever, immediately starts to don it. Now, I love this scene personally. (laughs) She's idiot she oh god yes um but no it's so good because she puts on the coat and she walks over towards a mirror fully pulled
pulls on the coat, starts buttoning it, and the magical power of dry cleaning comes on as steam just completely envelops her. And the next shot is her looking herself in the mirror, and her hair is undone, in gently wafting curls down, perfectly parted over the coat, as she has completely transformed through the power of steam cleaning into Pamdora, her possessed erstwhile dead aunt. Her hair is just down now. Or you could say it like that. Yeah. She just looks um, very stoned, too. She has a very vacant expression on her face. And Amy's like, "Um, are you okay? What's going on there? Because Pam starts walking towards the uh, window to the attic, which starts opening on its own. (laughs) So, one, I love that it's now become Dora the Equestrian. And two, the attic window, which is huge, uh, big enough for a person to walk through, which is unusual, actually, in most attics, uh, opens to the outside, and it's nighttime outside, which is very impressive, uh, Amy comments, because it was day outside just a second ago. It's not Uh night at all. And yet it gets way more weird, because as they exit through this window, which is a stupid idea since it's an attic, Uh (laughs) there's a really nice staircase, very neo-modern going down <laughs> it's so ridiculous you can tell they spent way too much money on this episode because they have these crazy sets they have a shit ton of animals in this and this damn staircase that they're going down is completely custom and stupid because it i don't know if you noticed but on the the rungs on the way down not only are the steps like these weird little circles on every level where there's only two you have to step very carefully or you're gonna fall and break your ankle but on the railing there's horseshoes yeah i love this staircase personally <laughs> because it is just so fanciful and i guarantee the staircase probably cost more money than they paid the writer and they have this weird epic music going on that doesn't it doesn't sound spooky it sounds like epic adventure yeah uh very different again dora the equestrian kind of going down the stairs in this haze not paying attention to anything that amy is screaming at her and is just going straight into this dark forest for no reason apparently specifically through the dark forest and into the family graveyard now inside the graveyard pam Dura, we can leave alone for a while she's <laughs> literally just wandering in a stoned possessed haze throughout this entire thing <laughs> i have to do the thing actually she's not even talking at this yeah, point she's no. completely ignoring everything being talked to her she's about being so extra it's amy that we get to focus on who is following this poor idiot and not less hearing a word that she's saying and they fall into the graveyard and start reading off that oh my god this is all of the family graves for the last hundred years and she finds pam in the graveyard and goes up to her and she happens to be standing at aunt dora's grave funny that amy's like oh it's aunt dora's grave what are you doing why are we here dora pam is saying nothing as she dramatically is just standing there trying to be i don't fucking no i just want to punch her in the face she puts a flower on the grave then she comes back up and she's holding a bone and she says the first words since her steam cleaning experience <laughs> which is mon petit rouge mon petit rouge what and that's all she says for a little bit until amy's like okay what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and then she goes on to explain that mon petit rouge is a small fox specifically she likes to call him that because it means my little red one. 
And he leaves her presents. Because she's been feeding him every day for a couple of months or something. They don't do a very good job of explaining, like, what the hell is going on. I think you need to have some sort of understanding on how hunts work and how a huntsman family would be in these sorts of things. Because what I finally pieced together is that she was getting ready to go on a hunt, probably with her family, and they were holding a fox before they were going to release it to go on an actual chase using their hounds and their horses. <laughs> Not that they explain any of this, but you have absolutely no context for this. You don't know that they're a hunting family, that they do this sort of traditional hunt thing, which makes them rich assholes, if you ask me. I do not feel sorry for Dora. Poor little girl, she broke her neck riding a horse that she was going to ride to go murder a fox. Okay. And again, yet one of many subplots that this play, this story has that have no meaning whatsoever. But basically she goes on to explain all mystically that uh, it was the day of the hunt that she had gotten attached to Mon Petit Rouge. She winds up letting him out and he runs away. The hounds that had they had been starving before the hunt because, you know, that's cool. Well, specifically she goes to explain she fed the fox the entire time, grown attached like you said, and that she didn't want to see the fox die. So she lets it out of the barn early the morning of the hunt, where it starts running around in the barn all crazy-like and completely frenzies the dogs, whose job it is to attack and flush the fox. And then she lets the fox out early and immediately regrets what she did. That's why she jumps onto her horse, Mirage, and goes riding off after the fox to make sure it either gets away or to grab it and bring it back. Either way, she tries to make a jump, fails it miserably, and breaks her net, thus ending the actual plot of the story. It makes no sense. No sense. It is not even here that we actually get into the reason of this story and the title of this episode. It is actually as they leave. We're introduced to the ghost of Giles. Okay. <laughs> who's this creepy old caretaker who just randomly pops up and he just kind of starts chastising Dora and is like, you should have fed the hounds. Where have you been? You're finally going to do your chores? You should have fed them before they died. <laughs> like, okay, That what? would have helped them live <laughs> as dogs. <laughs> and apparently what is kind of explained is that the dogs are starved before a hunt. Dora's job was to feed the hounds, but because she ran off and died, Giles went to go feed the hounds. They went crazy and either scared him or they tried to attack him, but he ran away and had a heart attack and he died. They do try to eat him, um, but he does manage to escape and yep, he has kicked the bucket as well. Very, very upset about it. And this is one of those things where I'm like, okay, I think that the darker part of the story is that this hunting family, maybe they're feeding the hounds and chasing the fox is, I don't think they were chasing a fox. I think that they probably were doing one of those most dangerous games things and capturing people and letting them run out and then giving the dogs a taste for human flesh. You know, that would have made it more scary, but you can't do that in a kid's story. That would have been a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah, but Giles is basically screaming at Dora like, it's your fault, I'm dead, basically. And the girls are like, well, shit. And they run away to the ghost barn. <laughs> <laughs> Where they are immediately locked in. It cuts back at this point to all of the kids around the campfire. Kristen adding yet again another stupid fucking subplot into this stupid subplot written not at all attentive to the main storyline episode as Kiki turns and goes like, who locked the door? Who barred them into the stable? And Kristen says, it could have been Giles, but it could have been yet another angry ghost of the family. Who locked the girls in the barn? It might have been Giles. 
Or it might have been another ghost from the family graveyard. And just leaves it at that. <sighs> Why would there be another ghost of the family? What is happening here? Ugh. So they're in the barn and Dora slash Pam gets all misty eyed and weird again. And she just starts doing her weird sleepwalk towards the door where the hounds are. And the door is shaking. You can hear the dogs baying and growling. And it's kind of scary because I'm actually scared of dogs. That would frighten me. But she just keeps walking towards it. She's like, I must feed the hounds. During this entire time. Amy is actually being a remarkably awesome person. She is spitting out the best pieces of logic. Dora, you're possessing your niece. This is not your body. You are going to hurt your family line. This is not who you are. Opening this door to these hounds will cause you to die. They will tear us apart. That would be bad for both of us. The most appropriate, logical things you could yeah. possibly think of. In fact, Amy's whole rant to Pam Dora this entire time is probably the best writing in this entire episode. Yeah, she actually tries and pulls the coat off because she's like, well, maybe it's the coat. Eh, that doesn't work because Pam Dora is like, nope, gotta feed the hounds. Keeps walking towards it. And Amy's like, I'm tired of your shit, Dora, and pushes her into a horse stall and, and locks her in there. Which is awesome. I'm tired of your shit. Pamder's like, okay, well, no, we need to feed the hounds, so go find some kibble and we'll feed them and then we can go. That's only after Amy presses her again, like, well, we cannot feed the hounds and I'll leave you locked in here. Or the hounds will finally break open the door and kill us both. What's your options, kid? Where's the food? Ah, uh, so Amy runs over to go get the kibble because she's still being smart and awesome. After Pam told her where it was, and Pam, meanwhile, is like, haha, I distracted her, and gets a piece of some sort of tack and somehow manages to pull open the stable and she starts her stupid sleepwalk towards the damn door again to let the hounds out. And it's actually very frustrating during this entire time because Pam Dora immediately shows clarity of thought, the ability to reason, manipulate, and then second she comes back to the hound, she turns into walking zombie. Poor Amy, she found the kibble bag and right as she's like pulling it towards the door, stupid Pam Dora opens the door, the dogs come running out and Amy's like, Fuck! She drops the kibble bag, spills it on the floor, and scrambles up these hay bales to get away from the dogs because they're running at her full force. They completely ignore the kibble. Which was wrong. <laughs> if they were that fucking hungry, the first thing you would do for go would be to go for a source of food. Which again, potentially gives really good reason for what you were saying, Dale, that this was actually supposed to be a tale of the most dangerous game and that they were just hunting people. And I love that as an idea, but that is certainly not what's being conveyed here. Nope. So they completely ignore the kibble. They're jumping up hay bales, and Amy is kicking down the hounds until Mon Petit Rouge shows up and draws the attentions of the hounds and runs out of the barn. And the dogs are like, ooh, fox! And they go running after the fox, leaving Amy to climb down from the hay by herself, and Dora is nowhere to be found. Amy goes out of the barn and... There's Dora on the fucking horse, just being like, I'm on a horse, and then, like, runs off. It, it's literally that. It, Amy looks around. Where the hell is Dora? Runs outside. Oh, there's Dora on the horse. Dora runs away, and Amy, having no other recourse, runs back to the attic because there's no way in hell she can follow a horse at full gallop in the middle of the night through the darkened woods. <sighs> yeah. So Amy wanders back through the woods, finds the staircase, goes back up into the attic. The door closes. I actually really like Amy because she is the most amazingly logical character I have ran into in one of these episodes so far. And the first thing that she spits out of her mouth when she gets into the attic is, oh my god, what am I going to tell my aunt? Because how am I going to explain that Dora just got herself killed, or Pam just got herself killed again? <laughs> but then it turns out that it's okay because you know, Pam's in the attic too. And Pam apparently has no memory of what the fuck just happened. No, not at all. She's just 
just coughing because apparently the attic is a little too dusty and she's undoing the coat and she's just fine. In fact, she should probably go feed the dogs because they're hungry. And Amy freaks out. She's like, dogs? You said dogs. You only have one dog. That's actually a fun catch because that's not the case. And actually, if you go back to the very beginning of this episode, uh, something we didn't recap, right? Uh, it's actually at the end of the chest scene when they first find the chest. It's The scene actually ends with the mother calling up to both of them, kids, it's time to go feed the dogs. Yeah. And she does say dogs. <laughs> it's really inconsistent. It doesn't matter anyway. It's a dumb thing to end the, uh, this dumb episode on because then Amy reaches into her pocket and she has kibble. And she's like, I have just the thing. Burp, 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 burp. The end. <laughs> like... And <laughs> it ends with Midnight Society once more uh, as... Uh... Kristen looking very satisfied at the remarkable story she just told. And it's that Pam once more tried to get writing lessons, gained permission to get writing lessons, and this time was successful because her mother no longer felt uh, haunted by her sister's ghost. The sister's ghost was no longer haunted by the baying of the hounds, and everything was hunky-dory and super amazing. Wow, what a good tale. And Gary quickly smiles and says, yep, good job, and throws a bucket of water on the fire as quickly as possible. And that's the end of that story. So I think you can hear from the derision in our voices that we hated this one like so fucking stupid. hated it so judy tell me why exactly you hated this one so much so my closing thoughts for this aside from just the erroneous writing the subplots that had absolutely nothing to do with this story the who gives a fuck about the fox who cares about these hounds because none of them are the actual plot of the whole uh, story that we're writing into is that Kristen should never tell a tale again <laughs> <laughs> she has a couple of good ones later on, honestly. I will look forward to seeing if that's true. I Actually, I can't remember if it's her or Sam when Sam shows up. There is a possibility for Kristen redeeming herself later on is what I'm hearing right now. Negative 10. The thing that I didn't like about this story, other than, like Jody said, the weird writing that made no sense, was the entire point of Dora needing to feed the hounds. Because she died, no one else fed the damn dogs. Giles fed the dogs. <laughs> <coughs> he tried to, and then he had a heart attack. Did they eat his dead body? I assume they ate his dead body, to be and, honest. And then they starved to death? No. Because everybody else was grief-stricken by the loss of Dora and the horse? Maybe they put him down. That would have made sense. That would have been an explanation. That could have actually been a continuation of the plot that they were trying to produce. Except it was a subplot, so nobody gave a shit. So it wasn't ever written into the main story. I think that what actually happened is during production of this, they um, spent a lot of money getting animal handlers and getting the animals in this episode and building all these special sets. It was very expensive, so they had to either cut a lot of stuff or edit it or alter it in s such ways that it just stopped making any damn sense. It is entirely possible that this just got horribly edited, fucked over, rewritten so many times because the director tried to take a really good story and pump it into this shit version of a 30-minute episode. And they had to dumb it down for kids. There, it, it could be that this was meant to originally be something so much better. The final results are so much worse. Yeah. This story, I think we can put on the scary rating as somewhere in the negative thousands. Because <laughs> it was pretty bad. Maybe a one if you are extremely, extremely phobic of being eaten by dogs. Which... I'm not phobic of it, but it wouldn't be my favorite way to go. You know, being consumed is actually not my favorite either. <laughs> okay, well, that was the fail of the Hungry Hounds. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to our recommended screaming. 
All right, so for my recommended screaming of the week, I have chosen to go tangentially. The actress that plays Pam slash Dora, her name is Mia Kirshner, and she's had a pretty interesting career. She was actually in The Vampire Diaries, and she's been in a few movies, including The Black Dahlia from 2006. The case itself of The Black Dahlia is what I'm going to recommend. I would totally recommend a couple of true crime podcasts. The first one is Hollywood and Crime, and it actually focuses on The Black Dahlia and a bunch of other similar cases to it in California at the time, and how they might be linked, which is really interesting to listen to. And then the other one, is actually My Favorite Murder, episode number seven, because I am a major murderino. I just love hearing those ladies talk about true crime in the way that I can relate to. In episode seven, Georgia covers the Black Dahlia murder. If you don't know anything about the case, in 1947, there was an unidentified body found in a field out in LA by some lady that was out walking with her kids. She thought it was a mannequin at first, but she called the police anyway. The police showed up and it's actually the body of one Elizabeth Short. Uh, She had been bisected and the two halves of her body were in two different positions, but she was very clearly posed. Uh, She also had a Glasgow smile cut on her face, so basically cut ear to ear. There were some surgically precise cuts on her body, removing pieces of skin. Her entrails were pulled out and put under the body. Also, the police discovered that the body had been washed. So unfortunately, this is still an unsolved case. There have been people working on this since the 40s trying to figure out who murdered Elizabeth Short. And it's famous because it's super gruesome, and a lot of people suspect that it was some sort of doctor or butcher that did it, and there's a whole huge list of suspects. But also, Elizabeth Short, her name kind of got dragged through the mud because she was treated as the stereotypical, you know, small-town girl coming into L.A. wanting to become an actress, and that's what she did. But, you know, because she dated a bunch of men, because she lived her own life, she was basically treated like garbage. They wanted to treat her like she was a loose woman and that she wasn't deserving of pity and that she probably brought this on herself because she decided to live a different lifestyle. It's a very interesting case because it's very unusual and I would highly recommend checking out George's coverage of it because it's also kind of funny. (laughs) I would like to recommend Cujo, which is a book by Stephen King. It originally was published on September 8th, 1981. The main story itself Uh, revolves in Castle Rock, Maine, the fictional town that Stephen King uses for quite a few of his works. It revolves around two major families, the Chambers and the Trentons. The Trentons are Vic, Donna, and Tad, Vic and Donna being the husband and wife and Tad being their little child, and the other family, the Chambers, Joe the mechanic, his wife Charity, and their son Brett. Joe is a horrible, abusive person, and they have just recently won the lottery, which Charity and Brett take as an excuse to leave town. And while they're gone, Joe goes to take a pleasure trip out of town as well. The main story revolves around Chambers' dog, Cujo, who has recently stuck his head into a limestone cave filled with rabbit bats. After being bitten several times, he also contracts rabies, and the story is dealing with the fallout of that. The main plot that you've probably all heard of is that Don and Tad try to head to the Chambers at some point to get their car repaired, and they are besieged by Cujo, (laughs) who... Uh, tries to defend the chamber's house, the last surviving command that this otherwise really good animal understands and can maintain in its skull uh, during this whole rabies haze of violence and aggression it's feeling. I wanted to recommend this because 
This was written during Stephen King's horrible cocaine binge, like several of his other stories, and it is very heavily interspersed with uh, little vignettes and flashes uh, from other books of his, just like our story today. Tons of little subplots and extraneous information that has absolutely no bearing on this case. Unlike our plot for today, it does actually, though, heavily focus on a very hungry and very aggressive hound. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us for this week's episode, even if the episode itself was less than spectacular. I was very disappointed with this one, but for those of you who enjoyed it, good. This was an episode that was meant to entertain, and as long as it has done that job, at least, there was something very redeeming about this. Yep. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean that you can't. Very true. But with that, I now declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Feel free to email us at areyouafanofthedark at hotmail.com. Are You a Fan of the Dark is all one word. You can also visit us at Are You a Fan of the Dark Pod on Facebook. And we also have our Midnight Society fan club where you can submit your own memories or even just comments about Are You Afraid of the Dark. And you can visit our show notes at midnightsocietyfan.club. <laughs>